study through the book of Genesis this morning. Let's go to chapter 32, Genesis chapter 32. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of wrestling with God. Genesis 32. And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host, and he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban, and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and asses and flocks and men servants and women servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I might find grace in his sight. And the messenger returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him, and the flocks, and the herds, and the camels, and the two, into two bands, and said, if, if Esau come to one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord, which saith unto me, Return unto thy country, and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my, my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he will come and smite me, and the mother and the, with the children." And, and, and thou sayest, I will surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And he lodged there that same night, and he took of that which came into his hand a present for Esau his brother, two hundred she-goats and twenty he-goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty milk, milk camels and their colts, forty kine and ten bulls, twenty she-asses and ten foals. And he delivered them into the hand of his servant, every drove by themselves, and unto his servants, and said unto his servants, Pass over before me, and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou? And whether goest thou? And whose are those before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present unto my lord Esau. And behold, also he is behind us. And so commanded he the, the second and the third and all that followed the drove, saying, On this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when ye find him. And say ye moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face. Peradventure he will accept of me. So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the, over the brook and sent over that that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh, in the sinew that shrank. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of this interesting account. And I know there's much for us to glean from this today, and so we ask that you would give understanding of your word. 
and get an enablement to me to preach the Word, Lord. And I know that the, the best preaching of your Word is found when people understand. And so I pray that that is our goal today. And not only to understand, but to apply it to our hearts. So Lord, just accomplish your will in each of us. If there's someone here who has never trusted Jesus, I pray that they would realize that they're wrestling against God and they will not win. So just bless today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The account before us today has intrigued Bible readers and scholars for centuries. It says that a real man by the name of Jacob actually wrestled with God. The event happened after Jacob had learned that his twin brother Esau was coming to meet him with a company of 400 men. In Jacob's mind, that could not be a friendly reunion, but uh, it wasn't a welcoming committee. He had been away from home for over 20 years, and the reason for his leaving home was because Esau, his brother, his twin brother, told him that he was going to kill him. Well, he didn't tell him, but he vowed that he was going to kill him, and Esau heard about that vow. Jacob's mother, Rebekah, had convinced him to leave and go to visit his uncle. And she said that he should stay there with Laban, uh, the uncle, for a few days until Esau's anger had subsided. And then she would send for him and he could come back home. Well, a few days had turned into over 20 years. And Jacob still had not heard from his mother. Did this mean that his mom had died? At least the Bible account doesn't say that he heard from his mother. So we assume that he didn't. Or did it mean that Esau still hated his brother and was determined even yet to kill him? As we saw last week, Jacob decided to leave Laban. And after he left, Laban came after him. God spake to Laban and told him not to hurt Jacob. The result was that Laban and Jacob made a pact, made an agreement that they would not hurt each other in the future. They wouldn't pass over this memorial that they made and they wouldn't pass over to do each other harm. And so that's the way it was left, and Jacob went back home. Or rather, Laban went back home, and Jacob proceeded to go home uh, back to the land of Canaan, not knowing that when he got there, and he wasn't far away because they were already, when Laban was met with Laban, they were already in Gilead. And so Canaan's right ahead. And so he didn't know, though, what uh, Esau had in mind. He didn't know that he was going to be received or not. And so these fears were in his heart. As he journeyed, events happened along the way, which resulted finally in the wrestling with God. Now, I've looked at the chapter this morning. As we're going to look at it this morning by breaking it up into different groups. And there's five events that took place before the wrestling with God. So we're going to look at those uh, one by one. First of all, Jacob was met by the angels of God, verses 1 and 2 tell us. There were many angels. Verse 1 says angels, plural. And then verse 2 says God's host. So there were a lot of angels. That's very possible because there are millions of angels. And so um, there's some of, God, some of God's hosts, so there was more than one, and many angels appeared. They assured Jacob of God's protection. You see, God's angels are powerful. The Bible tells us that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, it says the mighty angels, God's mighty angels. In Psalm 103, it says that they excel in strength. And in Isaiah 37, verse 36, it tells about the account. You remember Hezekiah? If you've been reading your Bibles through and you're on schedule, just recently you read that. But uh, it tells about Hezekiah and the, the Lord fighting for Hezekiah. And it says one angel, the angel of God that night, smote 185,000 people, uh, troops. 185,000 by one angel. So angels are powerful. God's angels also obey him. They do what he tells them to do. Psalm 103 says they do his commandments. They hearken unto what his voice and whatever he tells them to do. They also... Comforting to us are ministers to us. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, Are they not all ministering, angel, ministering spirits, speaking of the angels, 
Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation? We often say that we as Christians have a guardian angel. It might be more proper to say we have angels. And uh, so the Lord says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister? So it's possible we have more than one guardian angel, but at least we do have one. But uh, 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 Jacob had these angels to assure him that God was going to protect him, but we have the same thing. So going forward, Jacob had no reason for fear because God had said that he was going to take care of him. And God had sent angels to show him again, you know, I will prosper your way and you will do well. I, I will make sure that. And here are my angels to assure that when you're almost there in Canaan. Well, Jacob named the place Mahanaim, and that is, it means two hosts or two camps. Now, scholars differ on what that means. Some think it means two hosts of angels, one before and one behind. It doesn't really say that. But he, uh, he called it, there was a host of angels, and he called it two hosts or two camps. It probably means that he named it after the fact that there was his camp and there were the angels' camp. And so Jacob not only had the people that were with him, but he had also the people that God sent, or the angels that God sent, and Jacob could say they're more with us than you're, they're with you, Esau, if he would have been thinking by, as a man of faith. So uh, this is what happens, and they go, and these are ministering angels sent forth to minister unto him. Now the second movement in this passage is that Jacob sends messengers to Esau. Now, the Bible says in verse 3 that Esau was in Mount Seir. Seir, according to chapter 36 of Genesis, verse 20, was named after a, a Horite chieftain. And so that was its name before Esau got there. And Esau probably renamed it, and it's called Edom. Now, what does Edom mean? Well, you go back in chapter 25. You remember when uh, Esau wanted some of Jacob's pottage. And what was it called? Red Pottage. And they named Esau a nickname. He got a nickname after that, and they called him Red. And so every time they would see Esau, you know, they might call him Red, meaning, well, you, you sold your birthright for, for a, a, a mess of Red Pottage. And so that was his nickname. And so the land that he was living in and where he was probably in control was called uh, Seir, but also called Edom. Now, Jacob's message to Esau was fourfold. He said in verse 4, he said, uh, he's sending this message to Esau, you know, he sends these messengers out and he sends them the message to Esau and he says, say to him, thy servant Jacob. Now, that's interesting because you remember when Jacob got the blessing, it meant that others would serve him. He was the Lord over the family. So Jacob, though, has been humbled through all these experiences he'd been through. And he said, when you see Esau say, thy servant, Jacob, I'm willing to take, uh, you know, leave it all up to God, but I'm willing to uh, not lord it over you, thy servant, Jacob. And he says this, have sojourned with Laban until now. Now, Esau knew why he left, and Esau knew where he was going. And he's just saying, in these 20 years, that's the only place I've been. I have been sojourning with Laban, our uncle, until now. And so that's, and then he says this, and I have oxen and asses, that's donkeys and flocks and men servants and women servants. Now, you know, we see later that Jacob, when he left home, he left just with his staff. He didn't have anything. So he's assuring Esau, look, I'm not coming back to take from you because uh, I have everything I need. I have... Uh, oxen and donkeys and flocks, the flocks of sheep and flocks of goats, and I have men servants and women servants. In other words, I am very prosperous. And then he says this, this to him, I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in thy sight. I have sent my messenger ahead to you to tell you this so that I might find favor in your sight. I'm not looking for war. I'm not looking for conflict. And so that's the message you sent. Well, the messengers returned to Jacob. And they said this, we came to Esau. Now that probably means that they said not only that they came to Esau, but they probably gave Esau the message. 
you know, the, the message that thy servant Jacob has sojourned with Laban until now. I have all that I need, and I've come to make sure that we're okay, that I might faint, find favor in your sight. They say, we, we came, we saw Esau, but then the only other thing they say, they didn't say that he said, oh, that's good or anything like that. They said, and Esau is coming to meet you, and he has 400 men with him. Now, 400 men. You know, if you took 400, or if you took 100 soldier-like men and put them in this church, it'd be packed. <laughs> it would be packed. You know, big muscular men sitting in the pews, and it would be, they'd be standing, it'd be packed. Then you multiply that by four, 400 men. And he says, uh, they are coming with Esau. That's all he knows. Jacob was greatly afraid, the Bible says in verse 7, and also distressed. Now, you know, we could criticize Jacob, and we could say, Jacob, you don't need to be distressed. You don't need to be troubled because God promised. But isn't that the way we react many times? <laughs> Troubles come our way, and we're greatly afraid, and we're distressed. Well, that was Jacob. So Jacob divided his company into two bands. Verses 7 and 8 tell us he divided into two bands, and each band had people in it. So probably some of his wives, some of his children, and, and uh, then it had... Uh, uh, flocks and herds and camels in, the, in each group. So there's two groups, and uh, then it gives the reason why he did that. I divided up a whole family, my whole company, into two groups, and the reason is if Esau comes and means harm to us and he kills the first group, the second group can escape. So that's his plan. You know, he's doing all this planning in his mind, uh, supposedly trusting the Lord, but... <laughs> You know, he's got to do all this because he doesn't know if he can really trust the Lord, just like us, just like we do. And then the third movement in this passage is that Jacob prayed to God. Now, Jacob's prayer is a model prayer for believers because it has all the ingredients that we really need when we pray. And here are the ingredients. First of all, he recognized who God was. In verse 9, he says this, and Jacob said, O oh, oh God of my father Abraham and the God of my father Isaac. The word God there is the word Elohim, which emphasizes God's power. So he's saying, O oh, thou, thou powerful God. And then he says, The Lord, which saith unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. He says, The Lord. That's, he recognized who God is. He's the Elohim, the powerful God. And he's Jehovah, that's the word Jehovah, and that means that he's the covenant, promise-keeping God. He's the God who makes a covenant and keeps his, keeps his promise. And so he tells, he, he asks, he prays to the Lord, and he recognizes who God is. The second part of that prayer is this. He remembers what God told him to do and what God promised him. Look at verse 9, the last part of the verse. And he says, he says, you told me to return to thy country and to thy kindred. That's what I'm doing. God, you told me to do this. I'm doing it. And you also promised that you would deal well with me. And so he's just remembering what God said. He's a prayer, and he says, I'm doing what God told me to do, and God promised that if I would do that, it would be well with me. So he remembers that. You know, we're in good ground with God when we are doing what God wants us to do. And we're doing, and that's what Jacob says, Lord, I'm doing what you want me to do. You know, a lot of people pray, and they say, I've been praying about this, but they're in sin. The Bible says, if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. And Jacob is saying, Lord, to the best of my ability, I, I have been trying to do what you told me to do, and I'm returning like you told me to do, and you said, if I would, that you'd, you'd deal well, well with me. So he remembers what God told him to do and what God promised. And then the third part of this prayer is that he realizes his unworthiness. He realizes his unworthiness. Look at verse 10. He says, I am not worthy of the least of all, of all thy mercies and of all thy truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. I am not worthy, Lord, 
I'm not worthy. You know, we should never come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm, I've done this and this and this, and therefore you should bless me. It doesn't matter what we've done. Uh, we should say to the Lord, Lord, I am not worthy. We're not worthy to be saved, but we are. <laughs> and after that, we ask the Lord things. We don't come based on our merits and say, Lord, uh, would you do this? I have been so good, Lord. Would you do this for me? And uh, he didn't do that. He realized his unworthiness. And he said, with my staff, I passed over this Jordan. Now I've become two bands. So he's saying two things. Lord, I'm not worthy, but you've still been good to me. You've still been good to me. And can't we all say that? Can't we all come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm coming to you with a request. I am not worthy, but I recognize, Lord, that you've been so good to me. We could almost say, and I don't know if Jacob had this in mind, we could almost say, Lord, I'm going to ask you this, but you've been so good to me. And even if you tell me no, I still have to say you are a good God. Are we ready to say that? Are we ready to ask the Lord for something we really need and then say to him, Lord, if you don't give it, I still believe you're a great God. You're good to me. Sometimes even Christians have a request to the Lord and they pray and pray and they get mad at God for not doing it and they change their attitude about God. But God has been so good to them. I mean, God's going to make sure we don't go to hell. We go to heaven. That's about as good as you can get. And so regardless whether God answers a prayer for us and does what we want him to do, he's still a good God. And so Jacob recognizes his unworthiness and he says, Lord, I'm not worthy. Never come to God based on your goodness because we don't have any. The next part of his prayer was this, request. He requested to God. It was a simple request. If I was in Jacob's shoes, I'd probably have the same request. He says, deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother. <laughs> Lord, don't let Esau kill me. I know that's what he wants to do, but Lord, don't let Esau kill me, for I am afraid. That was an honest prayer. Lord, deliver me because I'm scared to death. And he just made his request to the Lord. And then he reminded God of all his promises, of his promises to him. He says, I will, you told me, Lord, I will surely do you good. You told me that you would make my seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be mum- numbered. And if he and his family, he's thinking this, if he and his family are killed, then Lord, what of your promise? If, you, if Esau wipes us out, then how is this going to be fulfilled? Lord, you promised. You know, there's nothing wrong with praying and saying, Lord, you told me. You know, if we have needs, we can go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need this. I really believe this is a real need, not just a want. And you have promised to supply all my needs. Now, make sure that's not praying for a new Cadillac. (laughs) We don't ask. It's nothing wrong with having one, but you can't say it's something God's promised to meet. And if you don't like Cadillacs, don't pray for uh, some other more expensive one. Just you know, don't pray that God will give you something and expect, I mean, there's nothing wrong with praying for that, but don't expect that God has to do it because he promised. He didn't promise that. He promised to meet all your needs. And you can pray to the Lord and said, Lord, I pray that you'll help me through this because you have promised not to allow me to be tempted above that which I'm able or tried above that which I'm able, but will with that trial make a way of escape. And Lord, you, you can pray to the Lord and, and tell him, Lord, I, I, I'm facing this situation. I don't know what to do, but I know that you promised, Lord. You promised that you'd work all things together for good to them that love God. And I believe you and I claim that promise. That's what Jacob's doing. He's saying, Lord, I, want to, I, I remind you of your promises to me. So these are... Five R's, you might say, that make up the model prayer. Recognize who God is. Remember what God has said to do for you and how he's going to keep his promises. Realize your unworthiness. Request God exactly what you want. Be specific. And then remind God of his promises. Remind him, Lord, you promised, you promised. And so Jacob prays. And then Jacob tried to appease Esau. Now, you might say, Jacob, if you prayed and you're trusting God, why are you doing all this? 
Well, before we criticize Jacob, let's realize what Jacob did. You see, before we criticize Jacob for praying and asking the Lord and then trying to help God out, you might say, in a sense. And he's, he's actually sending gifts to Esau to appease him. I don't believe there's really anything wrong with that because of what Jacob did. What did Jacob do? Jacob deceived Esau. Jacob pretended to be Esau. Jacob stole the blessing that Isaac was going to give to Esau. Now, God told him that he was going to bless. He didn't need to do that. But to his brother, he wronged his brother. And uh, he lied about it. He, put, he let his mom put uh, uh, goat hair on his hands, on the back of his neck. Uh, and he uh, wore his garments so he'd smell like Esau. He did everything he could to deceive his father and against Esau. And so he really did a number on Esau. And so there's nothing wrong with him saying, I need to make things right. Now, we could add this. We could say, now, wait a minute. But Jacob didn't do everything he should have done. No, he didn't. But what would have been the first thing he should have done? He should have said to Esau, Esau sent the messenger. He says, he could have said, Jacob's coming, but he wants you to know that he's really sorry about what he did. He wants you to know that he wronged you. There's no excuse for it. He did wrong, and he's sorry about that. He could have said, he didn't say that. But at least he tried to be kind to his brother, and that's what he's doing here. So he goes out, and he prepares a gift for Esau. There's 200 she-goats, 20 he-goats. This is found in verses 13 to 15. There's 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 female sheep and 20 rams, 30, 30 milking camels and their colts that were with them, so that would be 30 colts, 40 kind, those are cows, and 10 bulls, and then 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys, they would have been young male donkeys, and for a total of 580 animals. 580, that's quite a, a, a bunch of animals, probably nothing compared to what Jacob had, but it was a big present to his brother. And so he sends all this. And he sends his servants with each drove. And the Bible says they're separated drove by drove. Now, in my mind, it seems to be like there were probably five droves. There was a drove of goats. There was a drove of sheep, a drove of camels, a drove of cattle, and then a drove of donkeys. And, the Lord, and it says in the passage in verse 16, every drove by themselves... So there are five groups of animals, so that's probably what, how he did it. And verse 19 says the second, the third, and all that followed the droves. And so I imagine there were several droves, and he separated them with, with a space. So Esau's coming, you know, and he sees this, uh, this grove of animals coming, and they're all the same kind. He, What's this? And then there's a space, and then it goes a little while, and here comes another one. And these five groups of animals come and to try to appease uh, Jacob. And then the servants that came with those droves are supposed to take a message to Esau. He's trying to appease Esau. And here's the message. When Esau asks, you know, what's all this mean? Where did these come from? Uh, whose are these? Who are they for? I mean, he has all these questions. You're to say this, thy servant Jacob. Notice... <laughs> Thy servant, Jacob. <laughs> and he says, it, it's sent as a present to my Lord Esau. <laughs> He's really humiliating himself. He's saying, uh, I'm your servant, and you're my Lord, Esau. And then he says this, and I'm behind him. I'm coming. Uh, all these animals are present to you, but my master, the servants say, my master is behind me. So Jacob is coming. So then the next thing that happens in this passage is Jacob sends his wives and his children over the river Jabbok. Now, it says in verse 13, or verse 21, notice what it says. It says, So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. That night. It's interesting about that night. It's probably the same night that it refers to in verse 22, 
And it says, in verse, And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the river Jabbok. It's probably the same night referred to back in 13. And he lodged there that night. In other words, this was a very busy night for Jacob. I don't believe Jacob slept that much night, that night. It's like me, lots of times I get up, my wife will tell you this, probably two or three times during the night, and I hope I can go back to sleep when I lay back down. Normally I can, but sometimes I can't. But I imagine uh, Jacob had a night like that, because that night he does all these things, and then that night he does something else, and that night he does something else, and so it's a very busy night for a nervous, worried man. After he, sent, after he sent his family across the river Jabbok, then he was left alone. But there was no peace for Jacob. After he had prayed and did all that he could, his mind was not at peace. He was not fully trusting God to keep his promise. He was not fully trusting God who had sent his angels to help him. He was not fully trusting God who had also already showed in the past that uh, he would take care of him. He showed him in the past that I will intervene. When Laban came with all of his forces, and they would have been more, more, more than Jacob and his family could have handled, uh, the Lord spoke to Laban in a dream that night and said, Don't you dare. Don't you dare touch him. And so God had already proved that, that he was going to watch over Jacob, but even with all that true, he still was not at peace and he was worrying, and he himself said, it says in the passage, he was distressed. He was distressed. Now, don't be too critical of Jacob, because every one of us have been the same place. We've had all these problems come upon us, and we try to figure it all out in our mind, and we're troubled, we can't sleep, we're worried about it, and yet God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will work all things together for good. I will supply all your need. All of these promises and more are yours, and you don't have to worry. You know, that uh, Southern Gospel song says, I won't have to worry anymore. That's not a good song. I mean, it's good in some sense, but we don't have to worry right now. <laughs> it's not that we get to heaven we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry now. We all do, but we don't have to. We don't need to. We have no reason to. <laughs> Because God has promised. And so that's where Jacob is, just like we are many times. Faced with all these problems, he's done what he can do, he's prayed to God, but he's still worried himself sick. So Jacob wrestled with God. We find that beginning in verse 24. It says in verse 24, Then Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. After he'd sent his family away, all his possessions away, sent him across the river, he's left by himself. And there wrestles a man with him. Now, I believe that man was probably the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Why do I believe that? Why can we say that man was God? Because really the scripture leads us to that, uh, that conclusion. You see, the Bible says that angels have appeared as men at other times. You remember Genesis 18 and 19 when they appeared to Abraham? And uh, some of them went on to Sodom and Gomorrah and one, the, the angel of the Lord, the, which was probably pre-incarnate Christ, stayed to talk with Abraham. But those were angels in, in human flesh. They took upon the, 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 the likeness of a man and uh, for a time. So that's possible that this could be an angel and called a man that wrestled with God. Also, there's a commentary on this passage in the book of Hosea. And the book of Hosea, chapter 12, verses 2 to 4, speaks of Jacob who took hold of the heel of, of Esau. And it says, this Jacob had power over the angel and prevailed. So God's commentary on it in Hosea says it was an angel, not just a man, but an angel. And he, and he says, while he was wrestling with this angel, he wept and he made supplication to him. So we find out something Hosea from, in Hosea that we didn't find in Genesis, and that is uh, Jacob was weeping, and he was crying out to the Lord, and he was uh, making these supplications unto him. And then there's another thing we find out that makes us know that this man was God. And how is that? Well, verse 30. 
Verse 30 says, Jacob said, I have seen the face of God. I've seen God face to face. And he named the place Peniel, which means God's face. And so the text itself tells us this was God. God is wrestling with Jacob. Jacob is wrestling with God. So Jacob wrestled with him. How long did the wrestling match take place? Longer than any others have taken place. You know, wrestling matches usually have a set time, and they're over with to determine a winner. But this wrestling match took place till the breaking of the day. Probably in the middle of the night somewhere it started because he did all these things that night that we've already mentioned. But then he was left alone, and this wrestling match continued till the breaking of the day. And the Bible says that the angel that was wrestling with Jacob touched the hollow of his thigh. Now, Jacob won in a sense because the angel, the Lord blessed him. But in another sense, uh, he was hurt. And uh, he had the lasting effect of that, and he touched the hollow of his his thigh. Now, the Bible does not say that the Israelites were to remember this. The Bible just says that they did remember it. It was such a, left such a lasting impression upon the children of Israel as they heard this story and it was passed down from generation to generation that they uh, would not eat that, that portion of the, of the animal's uh, body and that would be the, probably the muscle right around the, the hip joint. And uh, they wouldn't eat of that. And uh, some believe it means the sciatic nerve right there. And, uh, but regardless, it left a lasting impression upon Jacob, and the Bible says that that was the tradition after that. But it left Jacob, as we see later, it left him limping. And so God touched the hollow of his thigh. But then another important thing about this wrestling match is that in this wrestling match, God talked with Jacob. God talked with Jacob. And the angel said, I read one account where it says that Jacob was praying earnestly and he was praying so earnestly that all of a sudden it felt like he was wrestling with God and then he actually felt there were actual arms and he was wrestling with God. I mean, that's an amazing story, but it really happened that God sort of made himself flesh and actually let Jacob feel this wrestling with God and Jacob held on and would not let go. And the angel said, let me go. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now, at this time, you remember Jacob's, he's wits in. He's done everything he can do. He's prayed. He's maneuvered. He's tried to appease his brother. His brother's coming. He doesn't know what's going to happen. By the way, it's a good lesson for us. Jacob did not know what Esau had planned. The Bible doesn't tell us. And Esau did not know what Jacob had planned. We many times, when we face problems, we figured out in our own mind what the other person's thinking and what the other person's going to do. And just remember, you don't know because you don't know their mind. Jacob didn't know what Esau was going to do. We're not told that Esau was going to come and kill him. We're told the end result is Esau was friendly to him. And Esau didn't know what Jacob... You know, in Esau's mind, he might have thought, Jacob's coming to take over. And he's coming to exercise his rights. And, and we don't know what was going those people, on those people's minds. But God knew. And God said to uh, Jacob, let me go. And Jacob says, I'll not let you go until you bless me. Because Jacob feels like he doesn't know what to do. His brother's coming. Lord, you've got to bless me. And so the angel said, what's thy name? You remember the last time recorded in the Bible when somebody asked Jacob that? It's Isaac, his dad. He said, what's your name? And he said, my name's Esau. Remember? Deceiving his dad. So God sort of brings that back to him and says, Jacob, what's your name? And Jacob admitted, my name is Jacob, that supplanter, that heel catcher, that deceiver. That's my name. And the Lord says, Jacob, you'll no longer be called Jacob. You'll be called Israel. And what does Israel mean? Well, you're a prince with God. 
You have a prince that has fought with God, that has strived with God, that has persevered with God. You persisted in your, in your dealings with me, and so I'm going to call you uh, Israel from now on. Jacob then returned and said, oh, what's your name? He said, why do you ask me your, my name? And he never told him. <laughs> but Jacob knew it was God because he said, I've seen God face to face. And the Bible says, and he blessed him there. Now, as we close, I want to draw some conclusions from this wrestling with God. Jacob's wrestling with God tells us some things. First of all, that God desires for us to commune with him. You see, Jacob was left alone, and the angel wrestled with him. It's like God came to Jacob. Jacob's mind is probably thinking, Lord, what am I going to do? But the Lord actually comes in physical form to Jacob, and it shows us that God wants to commune with us. God wants to. God wants you to talk to him. God wants me to talk to him. God wants me to take all my burdens to him, whatever they might be, however small they might be. And I've illustrated before, even if you lose your keys, there's nothing, I lost my keys this morning. <laughs> I had to drive Joe's, uh, Jared's truck down here to church because I couldn't find my keys. But even if you lost your keys, and I have to admit I didn't think to pray about it. Well, anyway... <laughs> But lots of times I do. <laughs> but God wants us to talk to him about everything. Everything. It tells us that God wants to commune to us and he, with us, and he took the initiative to meet Jacob where he was and to talk to him. It also tells us that this is so important, that we need to realize that the, the God of the universe, <laughs> just think of that. The creator God, the God of the universe, took a man who was a deceiver, a man who hadn't been the greatest guy, took a man and says, I want to talk to you. That says that to us. God wants to talk to us. God wants to be, us to be serious in our prayer life. And uh, he made Jacob wrestle. He made Jacob keep on pleading with God, crying to God, making supplication to God. He made him keep on and not quit until finally the Lord decided, all right, I'm going to bless you. And so he wanted Jacob to persevere. He wants us to do that as well. God doesn't want us just to throw up a prayer and say, Lord, will you do this? And then if God doesn't, we say, all right, I'll just take care of myself. God wants us to persevere in prayer. And this passage tells us that, that God wants us to get serious about our prayer life. The Bible also tells us that God encourages us to pray. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, that we're to pray without ceasing. So we're to pray all the time about everything. Thank the Lord, ask the Lord, trust the Lord, talk to the Lord. Pray all the time about everything. Pray without ceasing. Luke 18 tells us a story about the unjust judge. And it begins by saying in verse 1, men ought always to pray. Men ought always to pray. And then he gives the illustration of the parable of the judge. In a city, a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow of that city, and she came to him saying, avenge me of mine adversaries. Avenge me of my adversaries. But he wouldn't. He didn't care about her. But she kept it up day after day after day after day. And he finally said, all right, I will avenge you of your adversaries, not because I care anything about you, because you but because you're just bugging me to death and won't leave me alone. I will do it. And then God says this. And shall not God avenge his own elect? I mean, those he loves which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them, though he not answer right away. But they just keep on and keep on. And the answer is this. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. And what God telling us from this passage? He's telling us that he wants us to be serious about prayer and he wants us to encourage, to, to continue and to persist in our prayer until God answers James chapter 5, verse 16 says this, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then as I close, I want to draw some conclusions from another thing that's said in this passage. It says there in Genesis chapter 32 that the Lord blessed him there. The Lord blessed him there. 
Now I ask you, where was there? I mean, what was significant about there? Let me tell you some things I believe are true. God will bless us there. Where's there? After Jacob obeyed God. Not before, but after Jacob obeyed God. Jacob left the place, heading home, gone through obstacles, still facing obstacles, but he still wants God to bless him, and he still is determined to go on home to where God told him to go. And so he is obeying God, and God meets us there. God blesses us there when we obey him. If you're not obeying the Lord, don't expect the Lord to bless you there. Also, there is after his faith had been tried. Chapter 32, verse 6 says, Esau's coming and Jacob's afraid. His faith is tried. And uh, he's troubled. He believes and yet he's been tested because this bad thing comes in. He don't, doesn't know what's going to happen. And it's testing his faith. And God blesses him there after his faith has been tried. And God will bless you, that blessing that you want after your faith is tried. And me after my faith is tried. Also, another thing about it is after he was humbled, he said, I am not worthy. And God won't bless you if you're proud. God won't bless you if you think you deserve it. God will bless you there. And there is after you've been humbled and come before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't deserve any of your mercies. You've been so good to me and you don't have to do anything else. You've been so good to me. But Lord, I ask you, but I want you to know I do not deserve for you to answer my prayer. And so God blessed him there after he was humbled. Also, God blessed him there after he was left alone. The Bible says he had prayed, he'd made preparations and sent his family across the river and his things across the river, and he's all by himself, and he's alone. And God blessed him there. You know, many times we'll struggle with the Lord and something, and uh, we fail to get alone. We fail to get alone with him. Talk to him with nobody else around and get alone with the Lord. And God will bring us sometimes to situations in our life when we just have to be left alone, and that's exactly where God wants us to be. Sometimes we're going through troubles, and uh, everything just comes down around us, and we don't want to be anything but alone, and yet it feels so lonely. And God says, that's exactly where I want you. I want you alone talking to me. And God blessed him alone. And God blessed him also. There was a place where he was was supposed to be. Now, it's hard to accept that, that we're at a place where we're supposed to be. You know, the Lord in the New Testament says, if need be, you're in manifold temptations, trials, if need be. So it might be that you have all this against you right now and you have this big problem. I have no idea what it is, but you have this big problem facing you and you just almost feel like God has left you. And the Lord says, I bless, I'll bless you where, you're suppo- where you are, where you're supposed to be. And it might just be that this is exactly where God wants you to be. You know, you could say that of Joseph. Remember down in Egypt? He was accused wrongly, and he was thrown in jail. God, why would you do this to a man who tries to serve you? Because I want you exactly right there, Joseph, because that's where I'm going to begin to use you. And so he was in jail. It was true of the three Hebrew children. God blessed them there. Where was there? It was in the fiery furnace, exactly where God wanted them to be. God didn't want them to be uh, up at the top of the furnace. You know, it was an incline, and they would cast them down. In. God didn't want them, those people to stop there and say, oh, we made a mistake. God didn't want that. God wanted them to fight, throw them in the furnace, into the trial, into the midst of it. God wanted them exactly there, and that's where he blessed them. And the fourth man was, was there walking with them, and oh, what fellowship they had with the Lord that day. And what a testimony they had afterwards. God wanted them right there. And where God's where, where you are, where God wants you to be, God will bless you. Also, Daniel. Daniel, where would he end up? In the lion's den. Did God want him there? He sure did. 
God wanted him there because there God would show how strong he was. There God would show that he, he's, that uh, the lions are no match for his power. That God can just shut those lions' mouth. Those lions that are so hungry that when later Daniel gets out and they throw the other people in, they'll devour them before they hit the ground. And God can take care of that. And God blessed Daniel there because that's exactly where God wanted him to be. Paul's in prison. We have much of the New Testament. Why? Because Paul was in prison. The prison epistles written while Paul was there. John, the book of Revelation, wrote it while he was on the Isle of Patmos. Why? Because God wanted him there. Maybe it was unjust. Maybe he shouldn't have been there, uh, logically speaking, but he was there because that's where God wanted him. And sometimes we end up in places we don't want to be, but that's exactly where God wants us because he's testing us, he's trying us, and he's going to bless us if we'll let him. God blessed him there. And then from out of Bible times, you can think back of John Bunyan. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress considered for many, many years as the second most read book next to the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress. Where was John Bunyan when he wrote Pilgrim's Progress? In the rat-infested Bedford jail. (laughs) That's where he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Why? Because God wanted him there. God wanted him there because he had a purpose. And God blessed him there because he was where God wanted him to be. You see, God's blessings, you can say this, are worth all the trouble. (laughs) Whatever trouble we go through, God's blessings are worth it. And he will not leave you in the midst of your trial. He will be with you, and he will bless you. Yes, Jacob wrestled with God, and he won. God left a lasting impression on him, so (laughs) he would know what happened, but he won. God blessed him. But you know, there are people today who are wrestling with God. They'll never win because they're unbelievers. I talked to a lady this, just the other day, shared with her the gospel and about Jesus and everything, and she wasn't accepting it. She was offering arguments against it and all this. And what was she doing? She was wrestling with God. God was giving her a message of escape, how she could go, not have to go to hell, but she could go to heaven, but she was wrestling with God. You don't, you don't win that. You never win that battle. So you wrestle with God in that sense as an unbeliever, you'll lose. But you wrestle with God in prayer, and God will bless you. And I'm thankful that he will. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for this great passage. Lord, I thank you for lessons we learn. But Lord, it's one thing to hear these lessons. It's another thing to actually learn them. And I know that for many of us, we'll fully learn these lessons when you send us through trials. We don't look forward to trials, Lord, but we know that sometimes they're necessary because you really do love us and you want to bless us. Use the message to speak to our hearts. Accomplish your will, we pray in Jesus' name.